0: Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 48 with Philip Dell.
1: I discovered that I was uh, feeling much better by exercising. I I parked like literally a mile away from work every day and had to truck myself in and I started feeling a little better. I changed the way I started eating and uh, long story short, I lost about 100 pounds and went from a 44-inch waist to a twenty-eight. Uh, It was at that time, about 17 months later, that I opened up my own company called Sin City Chefs and started helping other people do the exact same thing that I did. Through Sin City Chefs, I was called by the Food Network and um, had my opportunity to compete on Chopped. Barbecue uh, is something that I've been passionate about my entire life. When I was eight years old, I had the pleasure of learning how to uh, roast my first pig with my grandfather and my uncle. And that's kind of how, you know, the fire started burning in terms of uh, barbecue.
0: This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your host, Chris Spear. Each week, I'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. On this episode, I have Chef Philip Dell. Philip is a barbecue competitor, a chef instructor, a chop champion, and so much more. I actually met Philip when we were both at Johnson and Wales in Providence. At the time, he was studying to be a pastry chef, so I was surprised a few years ago when I reconnected with him via Facebook and saw that he was living in Las Vegas and was cooking barbecue. I think the main takeaway is that Philip has really diversified and invested in himself as a brand. And especially during the time of COVID-19, it has been to his benefit to have a lot of different things working. So he has a personal chef business. He has a line of spices and sauces that he's working on. He does some consulting and some R&D stuff. So not just being tied to one restaurant or one project, he's really taken an overall approach to what the chef Philip... Dell brand looks like. And I think anytime that you can kind of have a few different things going and invest in yourself that way, it seems to be a benefit. I know that it's a lot of work and very challenging as I've even tried to do some of that myself. But I just think this is a really great conversation and Phil is such an interesting guy and has done so many different things. And I think it's a great episode. So I hope you enjoy it. And please give us some feedback. We'd love to hear comments. Thanks to this week's sponsors, Tyler Wright, Danny Spletter, Ron Krieger, Cafe Bueno, Little Fig Bake Shop, Maryland Bakes, and the Savory Spoon Catering Company. If you want to support the show, our Venmo name is C-H-E-F-W-O-R-E-S-T-O-S. If you enjoy the show, have ever received a job through one of our referrals, have been a guest been given complimentary Chefs Without Restaurants swag, or simply want to help, it would be much appreciated. Feel free to let us know if you have any questions. Thanks so much, and have a great weekend. Welcome, everyone. This is Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast, and this week we have Chef Philip Dell. So Chef is a barbecue competitor, a chef instructor, a chopped champion, and many other things. I met Phil when we were in culinary school back in 1995 when he was studying to be a pastry chef. So welcome to the show, Philip. How are you doing?
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. Uh, you know, things are going as well as they could be right now. Uh, we, my Some of my clients finally call me back, so we are ready to rock and it's just it's getting hot here in Vegas.
0: Yeah, I've never been out that way. I'll have to make it out sometime. How long have you been out in Vegas now?
1: I moved to Las Vegas in 2005 to help open up the win.
0: Nice. So I guess where does it make sense to start uh, your story? So the last time I actually saw you was in Providence when you were at culinary school and I thought you were going to be a pastry chef. And now it's 20 something years later and you're not a pastry chef and seemingly doing really well in the world of barbecue. So how did that happen?
1: So, you know, when I moved to Las Vegas, like I said, in 2005 to help open the Wynn, I I actually started there as a pastry chef. But I also started there morbidly obese. I had a uh, 44-inch waist. I weighed 217 pounds. And uh, during the opening process of Wynn, I discovered that I was uh, feeling much better by exercising. I, I parked like literally a mile away from work every day and had to truck myself in and I started feeling a little better. I changed the way I started eating. And uh, long story short, I lost about 100 pounds and went from a 44 inch waist to a 28. Uh, It was at that time, about 17 months later, that I opened up my own company called Sin City Chefs and started helping other people do the exact same thing that I did. And at that point, that's pretty much when I got out of pastry full time. I still uh, taught, I actually taught professionally. Uh, for people that wanted to be pastry chefs. But I also helped uh, people um, live a healthier lifestyle, I guess. And that's kind of how things evolved. Through Sensity Chefs, I was called by the Food Network and um, had my opportunity to compete on Chopped. Uh, Barbecue uh, is something that I've been passionate about my entire life, Um, in addition to always wanting to be a chef since I was four years old. I also live kind of all the time around a grill or a uh, smoker or a pit of some kind. When I was eight years old, I had the pleasure of learning how to uh, roast my first pig with my grandfather and my uncle. And that's kind of how, you know, the fire started burning in terms of uh, barbecue. I developed my own seasonings in the late nineties and uh, took those to market as well. And some sauces and some glazes and some marinades and uh, just, you know, uh, that's pretty much how it started. When I moved to Las Vegas, I was recently divorced and uh, just kind of wanted to start over. I took a, about a ten-year hiatus from the competition scene. After winning Chopped, uh, my wife and I were redoing our backyard, and I bought a smoker, a, a Kamado, beautiful smoker. And ironically, one of my good friends was teaching a professional barbecue class that um, for people that like to compete. I went to the class and when I got home, my wife looked right at me and she goes, so when's the next competition? And that's pretty much where it started back up again. And that was about seven years ago. We've competed at least 50 times since then. We've done, uh, we've done very, very well. And this year has been a little weird, but we just came back from a competition in Ogden, Utah. And uh, we had a lot of things going up against us this contest, but we still walked away with uh, a few prizes. So, um, you know, once you get the, as you know, Chris, once you get kind of excited about something and you just have it in your blood, you just, you find every way you possibly can to keep going. And that's what I do.
0: I'm sure it's like picking a favorite child, but do you have a favorite cut of meat or something to do for barbecue?
1: Well, you know, I get that question a lot. Um, any possibility that I have, I love to smoke pigs. Um, like I said, I, you know, I have a lot of really good memories with smoking pigs, but. Uh, considering they're expensive and very cumbersome and you got to have a lot of people that eat them uh, ribs. I, I absolutely love to cook ribs. I, I have so many memories about ribs as well. Some, some amazing and some of them not so great, but um, you know, it's just, in fact, we're probably going to, we're debating right now. We Because I travel a lot and I am, I am our busy schedules all the time. We haven't really celebrated father's day yet. So this weekend we're going to celebrate father's day and trying to decide if we're doing the barbecue thing or if we can do burgers and dogs this weekend. And then on the 4th of July, vice versa. Sometimes I have a pig roast on 4th of July this year. We're not going to do that. We might wait till Labor Day, but um, yeah, ribs, definitely ribs.
0: So what do you do for business? What's the core of how you earn your living?
1: So I closed Sin City Chefs um, about five years ago and opened up CPD Enterprises LLC a few years ago, and it it basically encompasses everything that has to do with food. Uh, I have such a broad range of abilities when it comes to food, both for research and development, to consulting, to menu development, cost analysis, uh, helping people eat better one bite at a time, 10 course meals, it doesn't really matter. So uh, I travel the world doing a lot of things when it comes to barbecue or when it comes to food in general, and that's pretty much how I make a living. I have clients that I cook for uh, very regularly, but because of COVID, a lot of them have gone away. Uh, I recently had one come back, which is great. And I've got uh, another client that has been with me off and on for the last seven or so years. I helped that gentleman um, and his beautiful wife live a healthier lifestyle as well. And I have other people kind of managing some of those accounts for me so that I can travel the world and, and, as my friend Harry Suey would say, you know, share the love. Uh, So that's um, basically, if it has to do with food, I'm ready to go.
0: So you've really diversified and it sounds like building a brand. I mean, I'm always kind of torn by like saying that like a person is a brand, but I mean, I think it makes sense. You know, you kind of have your hands on a few different things and I think it's smart to diversify.
1: Absolutely. Speaking of the branding and everything else, you know, up, we, we of course had Paul Perdome to idolise after and Julie Child. And if you notice those names, those were the brands. You know, it, it wasn't, I mean, even Emerald to this day, you know, is Emerald, but it's it's not necessarily the restaurant that's the brand, it's the name. And so years and years ago, um, and by that standard, I would say probably 10 years ago, a very good, very successful businessman told me, um, you know, it's great to have a business name, but Chef Philip Dell is the brand and you need to keep marketing that. And I didn't listen to him until about five years ago and it started sticking. So that's what we're doing. And um, we have a lot of really cool things coming up.
0: Yeah. You know, I think it's really hard sometimes when you start a business, you don't have the foresight as to where it's going to go. And you see so many people change the name of their business or change what their tagline is, you know not food, but I was thinking of like just cabinets and you go in there and they have like couches and stuff. It's like, maybe you shouldn't have called yourself just cabinets, you know? Exactly. So so you said you had some customers who dropped off due to COVID. Do you know why? Is it because of a safety issue? Like they didn't want you around or is it financial because maybe they were unemployed or a combination of both? Because I'm just trying to talk to everyone about like where their business is and what's been going on. Uh,
1: For my clients, it was more a financial disposition, um, strategic, you know, it, it wasn't uh, a goodbye. It was, I'll see you later. And so I completely understand they understand that, you know, we as chefs always strive to give the best service and, uh, we just want everybody to be happy. And so that's, and safe of course. And so they're all great. And, and so I can't wait for them to come back.
0: Talking about that, what did COVID do to food costs for you, especially things for like barbecue? I know so many of my friends who have food trucks. I have a couple of friends who have like barbecue trucks, and they're just talking about the cost specifically of like brisket and, and all that kind of stuff that used to be more reasonably priced. I'm sure you're seeing that. And how does that impact things?
1: We were fortunate in the fact that pretty much everything leveled out or stayed the same for a little while as of late meaning in the last month that's when everything skyrocketed you know we went from 249 for prime brisket to 699 for prime brisket I, you know it or even worse and, and and i'm talking wholesale so you know into market we're talking even more ridiculous so it's um, it's been a, a definitely a blow it's one of those things where you know i've i've been kind of helping a another business you know they they call me up and ask me questions every once in a while and barbecue company. And they said, you know, chef, what we should we do about this? And here's kind of my thought, stretch it out as far as you possibly can. Uh, if your number one item say is brisket, then don't lose brisket. But a lot of the times, you know, and I think as chefs and as in the industry, people need to understand kind of where we're at. And it's, Sometimes a lot of things are out of our control. In fact, most of the time things are out of our control. And in this case, the price of brisket is way out of control. And so it's, um, you know, for that gentleman, it's his number one selling item. So if if he were to take that off his menu, that could completely destroy his business. However, by simply sending out a letter to his faithful guests and his new guests that are about to come and everything, just let them know, hey, and you, you could even just send out like, Hey, well, what would you like us to do? Would you like us to keep it and raise the price temporarily and reassure them that this is just temporary, you know, and then we'll bring it. We promise to bring it back as soon as we do. We're not greedy. We want you to be as happy as just as happy as we are. And, and that's what you end up doing. And he's doing an amazing job. And, and that's pretty much what we all have to do. You know, it's adapt. Everybody has to adapt to what's going on right now. And, and I mean, everybody. That means us as the chefs and as the industry and also to the customer, everybody. And, and then the, like the wholesaler, everybody, absolutely everybody needs, needs to take this hit at the moment. Uh, just ride it out. We'll all come out uh, more successful and happier in the end.
0: I think that's one of the big things is now it seems like the customers getting a lot more insight into the food business than maybe they had before. I mean, the info was always there. We were always talking about it, but now I think it's very evident where the cracks in the whole food service industry were. I mean, food should not be inherently cheap and expensive. You know, like there's a true cost to these things. And now, even more so, in people, you know, it's unfortunate because people have less money to spend. And I think a lot of people want to see less expensive food. And on our end, we have so much more elevated costs right now. And how you reconcile that, I think, is going to be tough. And I think for the first couple months, people have been understanding, but as it wears on, I mean, I think you're going to see in a month or so, people are going to not be spending as much money maybe if things haven't evened out. And and I think we're going to have to keep our eye on it. And again, that's where I think diversification is a smart move. You
1: know, a good example is this, and and sometimes they get criticized for it, especially when I had the food truck. There are some people that say, oh, if you don't have, if your items aren't above $10, you're not a gourmet truck. And I don't believe that necessarily. I believe, and especially in this case, like for instance, tapas restaurants right now could crush it, meaning that they could do an amazing job. Why? Because you can get a smaller amount for a little less money. You're still getting some good food. You can try some new things, maybe be a little more adventurous than you used to be. Instead of just getting a big, huge pile of food for 20 bucks, you can now get four or five single items for 20 bucks. Now I know that's a little harder on the the staff. It's a little harder on the owner, uh, mainly because that just means that their volume needs to increase, which, as I'm sure you know, is not always the case. You know, if your number one item, if number one selling items are only three dollars, man, in order to co- you know cover your cost, you're going to need to sell thousands of those things.
0: Yeah, I've decided in my business model it wouldn't work trying to trade on volume. That I went high end, and that's just. It's what's worked for me, but I get nervous about that. You know, I don't have the abilities. People say, well, you should pivot and start doing like in-home delivery meals. It's like, but now if I'm doing like $15, $20 meals to scale up, like then I need to go get a commercial kitchen, then I need to hire staff, then I need ca- capital equipment, all these things I don't have. Like my business model was built on going to do a dinner for 10 and making a thousand dollars in a night. And now if I have to do a hundred meals at $10 a head. I I just can't do that. And and hoping that my model continues to work for well. But if you have a restaurant, yeah, I I see what you're saying. And you got to be flexible, right? These restaurant owners have to be flexible. And I think that's flexibility and adaptability have been the words the past couple months.
1: That's one thing that I've absolutely loved seeing, you know, during this whole thing, when everybody was stuck at home or whatever, you know, chefs were even busy, like restaurant owners, I have some um, chef acquaintances and friends that, have restaurants that, you know, they started doing that take home boxes of a few menu items and, and then they would do a class online, a zoom, or, um, you know, they did it live on Facebook or whatever so that people could actually see it happening. And I think that was just outstanding. I, I think that's great. I, you know, um, had the pleasure of doing that myself. You know, people were like, Hey chef, you know, that bread you posted, do you have a recipe? Well, I'll be honest. A lot of times I don't use recipes. However, um, I'm happy to come up with one real quick for you, send it off and they're like, okay, well this scares me. And I'm like, okay, well let's pick a time. Let's pick a date and let's do it together. You know? Um, and I think that was an opportunity for people to learn even more and to get excited about really how it works to, to get to know the people that are actually making the food for them every day.
0: I've always found my, my biggest successes came from my engagement in my community. I mean, you seem like someone who's very engaged with your people, too. I'm always so surprised and disappointed at businesses that, you know, they have an Instagram page, they post whatever, and then people comment on it, and then they don't take the time to respond or interact. Like, why Why are you just putting all this stuff out here? Like, that's your opportunity to, to build a relationship. So, yeah, I totally, I, I don't know if you saw, like, all the focaccias I was doing, you know, <laughs> like, it's something. Oh, I loved
1: them. Are you kidding me?
0: Since, since the quarantine thing. And I was sharing that recipe like all the time. I made sure that when I was doing it, that I was taking good notes because it would be something that I would want to share with people and making sure that every single person who wanted that recipe, I would send them links. I would talk them through it. You know, I did some TikTok videos on, on making some of these things. You know, I just enjoy that, the process of teaching people to be better cooks, but I think you're going to build long-term relationships with these people. You know, and it's also fun. Like maybe they never become your customer and that's okay too. You know, it really doesn't take that much time.
1: Absolutely. In this world, you know, that we're living in these days, it's um we need to find harmony somewhere. And, you know, forever, I mean ancient times, food has brought people together. And this is one of those opportunities where, you know, when I was growing up, I was able I was so blessed to be able to cook with my mom and my grandparents and my grandmother and uh, my grandmothers and even my aunts and uncles, you know, and got in the kitchen and work. But unfortunately these days you don't see that happening a whole lot. And this sort of disaster, if you will, has maybe been a shining light to some other people. A lot of people are under, like they're learning new things that they never thought that would even be able to do. You know, they, oh, I don't even know how to boil water. Well, let's learn how to do it because you don't have anything else to do. So it's a great thing. I, I'm seeing a lot of kids cooking with their parents now. And thanks to Pinterest, there's a lot of people getting excited, you know, Hey, we can do this and we can do that uh, with our kids. And um, I think that's a great
0: thing. And it'll be interesting to see if this changes the landscape of restaurants. You know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, chefs are at home cooking and maybe they've discovered that they don't need to be doing all these intricately plated dinners that, kind of a good home style meal is there's some value in that and that people want that. And what are customers going to be looking for when they return to dining? Are they going to be looking to go to that Michelin star restaurant and eating a 15 course meal? Or are they just going to want some like soul satisfying nourishing food? Um, And I, I think it's going to kind of lean in that direction. And there's another guy I was listening to a podcast and he was talking last week and he was saying kind of the idea of restaurants almost are going to need to become that old style neighborhood restaurant to survive. Like if people aren't traveling anymore, you know, you used to go to Noma, you'd get on a plane and you'd fly across the world to go there. And the only way these places sustained business was they had a global audience. And now if people aren't traveling, you have to become that restaurant that people in your city and your community support. And I think that's going to make a lot of restaurants either change or go out of business. If you are not dependent now on people coming from all over the world to visit your restaurant. What does your restaurant look like in your community? You know, and I, something I I take to heart for sure.
1: Absolutely. You know, it just goes back to diversifying. You know, when I opened Sin City Chefs back in 2007, we were in the middle of a recession and people were like, you're crazy. It's like, well, but if you notice, I didn't stick to just one thing. There was always something I would do. And, and, uh, to this day, that's always going to be the model. And um, whether it's a restaurant or it's a food truck or it's a catering company or it's a consulting company or whatever, you know, you have to diversify what you're going to do if you want to succeed, especially right now.
0: So are you still doing uh, like spices and sauces and things like that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so we're, we're kind of stuck at the moment with spices. Uh, unfortunately, the company that I originally had all my seasonings packaged Uh, sold a few years ago and quality has been kind of slipping ever since and so we're kind of in the middle of uh, redoing that at the moment and sauce however is uh ramping back up and that's uh very exciting we have a new one coming out or it is actually already ready uh we're just looking for um an online source for it we've got a couple stores here in vegas that carry it it's pretty exciting and um so uh we are definitely doing some of that
0: that's really cool i uh I don't know what I would make. People always say you should make some kind of sauce or spice. Like nothing comes off the top of my head, but um, it seems neat. Probably some kind of hot sauce or something. But I feel like the market's already flooded. I mean, it's terribly hard, in my opinion, to like break into that market. Like, how do you set yourself apart from everyone else when there's already a million spices and barbecue sauces?
1: So, just like everything else, you have to find the niche. I have a very good friend of mine. She has a uh, fantastic blog. I'm just going to shout out uh, for her. She's uh girls can grill and she's crushing it right now in the barbecue world. I mean just crushing it. Anyway, so her niche is obviously in the name, Girls Can Grill. And so um because of that she could capitalize all she wants. And that's what's going to separate people from any you know anymore. When I first started developing seasonings and sauces and everything else, barbecue as a corporate competition world, if you will, um was just getting ramped up. And then mid 2000s or so, it started to turn like NASCAR style where it was just like crazy big. And uh, that's when absolutely everybody had their seasoning, had their sauces, has their glazes, has their marinades and everything, and everybody flooded the, the market. And you're still gonna find that, but also, you know, it's kind of like what's going on right now. Some companies are closing, but it's opening doors for others. Or it's, you know, trust me when I say I don't want anybody to close. That's, that's not what I'm trying to say at all, but it's, it's allowing new things to happen. And I I think, you know, when it comes to sauces and seasonings and marinades and anything else, you know, it goes back to marketing and uh, whatever you can do to kind of catch that niche. If you are blessed and you have a restaurant, well, then it's easy to just do a sauce or something because you can put it on a shelf and people are like, Hey, I just had that sauce on my ribs or whatever. And they're like, Hey, I want to take some of that home so that I can enjoy the flavors or, Hey, I'm, I'm not from town. Uh, can I get this sauce? You know? Um, so that when I can, when I go home, I can share with my friends and say, Oh my gosh, these ribs are amazing because of the sauce or whatever. So there, there are ways to do it, but you're right. I I think that it's extremely saturated. It's becoming harder and harder to get into bigger stores. The cost and the, the margins are just not good enough to be, you know, just crushing it unless you are very fortunate and, and you, you know, that opportunity is always there. I don't want to discourage anybody. You know, I remember you may have gotten this when you were getting into culinary school. Oh, there's no money in, you know, in this industry. No, there's a lot of money in this industry. It's just how do you tap into it and what do we need to do? And again, that just goes back to uh, being adaptive and uh, finding new ways to be creative.
0: So I do remember going to culinary school, they throw out this number of like $100,000 and um, like, I don't know a lot of people making $100,000 <laughs> in this industry right. at all, let alone right out of culinary school. So Chopped, how many times have you been on Chopped now?
1: So I was on Chopped once. I was on Cutthroat Kitchen. I've been on Firemasters. That's uh, Firemasters, if you're, if you're not familiar with, it started in Canada's Food Network Canada and then... It uh, was picked up by the Cooking Channel here in the United States. So, Pastors and Cuthbert Kitchen chopped two episodes of Carnival Eats and uh, an episode of Carnival Kings. So, it's, um, it's definitely something I love to do. I, I, if they called me tomorrow and said, "Hey, we want you to come back for Champions, or we want you to have a Redemption, or we want you to have, you know, whatever show," I'm there, man.
0: I asked you, the producers reached out to me and I said, is this something I should do? And you're like, definitely talk to them. It, it just seems, oh, that's not how I feel like I like to cook, like the pressure. I don't know that I could do that. It just seems like so much.
1: So I have, I have that story online uh, as to my experience on Chopped, but I had no feeling in my right arm that day. And if you're watching the show, my hands are always crossed. I prayed the entire time because I literally had no feeling in my arm. I, I went to go grab a pan at one point and I had no strength whatsoever. And it slipped out of my hand. I grabbed it with my left hand before it touched the ground.
0: What was that? Was that like a pre-existing issue you had had?
1: So I didn't know at the time, but after everything was all said and done, we flew back to Las Vegas. I went and got checked out and uh, I have a compressed disc in my neck. And the doctor said, did you break it when you were a kid? Did you break your collarbone? I was like, no, not that I'm aware of. But uh, apparently I did. So, yeah, that's kind of how that went. But it was it was pretty awesome, man. 17 and a half hours it took to film that.
0: Wow, that's a lot. Uh, that that picked a weird day for your uh, thing to manifest, too, huh? of all days.
1: Yeah, at 4 a.m. in the morning, I was pounding on the hotel room floor. I mean, just man, I was in misery and my wife's like, do you want to, do you want to, um, go to the ER? And I was like, no, the devil's trying to stop this from happening. I'm going. And that's,
0: you pushed through,
1: I pushed all the way through, man. Wow.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. Maybe it's in the cards for me someday. I still don't, I still don't know people all the time and it's, you know, not people in the industry, but like, everyone's like, Oh, you should go on one of those cooking shows. It's like, eh, I don't know. That's <laughs> I never really thought of doing that kind of thing. I did uh, a local cooking competition. I felt like that was enough. We have the Mason Dixon Master Chef Tournament in Baltimore, and I've done that three times now uh, with some chef friends, and and that was fun.
1: I absolutely love it. You know, competition's been in my blood for very, very long time. I would say I think my first competition in food was when I was eight, and all through you know junior high, high school, you name it, and then of course my professional career. I, I generally don't stand down from a challenge. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and if I get just destroyed for lack of a better, you know, phrase, I just, I get back up and do it again. You know, you know, I I recently told you kind of like this last weekend in the competition, barbecue competition, man, it was like we had one obstacle after another. It was one of the worst cooks I've ever had in my life um, in a barbecue competition. But we, again, just kept pushing through and I kept leaning on God for that because, I wasn't feeling it. I was like, this is not good. The food is not good, but you know, as they say in barbecue competitions, put the best thing you have in the box. And that's what we did. And we managed to get our name called a couple of times. So, um, you know, just like in life, if you get kicked down, you got to get back up and keep going. And that's, that's what I love about competition. Every time I say, you know, Hey, I'm not going to do it again. (laughs) No, I've been doing it my whole life. So I, I can't stop.
0: How many people are in a competition like that? Like this last one you did, how many other competitors are there?
1: So in the Kansas city barbecue society pro competition, there were 32 teams. There was also an SCA uh, state cook off on Friday. Uh, there were a total of 70, I think 72 teams in total uh, for the whole weekend. So um, there was a lot that every contest is different. So I've, we've competed in some that there was only 15 we've competed in some. that There's only eight we've competed in some that there's 600. So, um, you know, you don't know from one competition to the next.
0: Do you do anything with pastry anymore?
1: Very, very rarely. Really? I've just, um, I don't know what it was really that changed the, the switch. I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, when I lost my weight, I just changed my focus. Uh, I still love it. still have a huge passion for it. If somebody said, hey, we want to offer you an executive pastry chef job uh, and it was worth it for me, then I would, you know, and I prayed about it and God said, hey, this is what you need to do next. It would take me all of 30 seconds to get back in that mode. So, you know, the passion's always been there. Uh, But I have to say that I love the diversity of just doing it all, man. There's, if someone told me, you know, hey, I need you to do a chocolate showpiece for me, I'd do it.
0: (laughs) So was your weight issue totally related to pastry, in your opinion, like trying food and being around that? Is that...
1: No, it had nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it at all. Um, so shortly after culinary school, uh, about a year after that, I uh, got married to somebody that I met in culinary school. And we had a rough five years, you know, it um, not necessarily personally to each other, but we went through the death of a child and it was, it just seemed like five years of a constant struggle. And, um, you know, pizza and and the lifestyle of a chef are the stereotypical, let's put it that way. The stereotypical lifestyle of a chef, um, kind of set in, you know, where I was just, uh, not eating correctly and having a couple beers and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, in, in, 2005, when I, I literally was, I was taking a shower and I was, you know, one morning I opened up the curtain, And I saw myself in the mirror and I'm like, this has got to stop right now. And, um, you know, I think, but most of the weight gain was stress a lot of it was stress. And then I sat on my butt a lot, you know, I, I didn't do anything. I worked my tail off, you know, in the kitchen, like we always do, but I didn't, wasn't very active anymore outside. And when I started to get more active, like I was saying before, how I used to, I would basically jog into work from where I was parked, the, Adrenaline started to get back up. I started to feel better, and you know, and that's just kind of how things started. And you know, but I, pastry didn't have anything to do with that. I, I love to this day. I love pastries. I love desserts. My favorite thing in the whole world is cookie dough, and uh, it can't be the stuff in the tube. It's got to be fresh. I have that every single weekend.
0: <laughs> uh, choc- chocolate chip,
1: chocolate chunk. Every time, ta- every single weekend, and I, I don't care if there's a pie or a cake. Or anything else at a party. I'm still having cookie dough that weekend. It's like it it's a little bit of an addiction. I'm not
0: gonna lie. (laughs) That's been really hard for me because I didn't go to school for pastry. You know, we have in four years of culinary school, two sweet classes. That's it. And now with my business, I have to do all the desserts. I mean, I could buy them, but I hate that. What I love to do is make everything. So I've really had to teach myself some very basic dessert skills and then play to my strengths and it gets really hard because sometimes someone will say I want a key lime pie because it's my favorite and it's like Okay, I have to have that conversation with myself. Like i've never made one of these but i'm a chef i've made Other pies i'm sure I can read some recipes and figure it out But you know spending the past couple years kind of developing some of my go-to desserts that's been Fun for me and interesting, but it's you know, it's tough because it's a whole different thing
1: well for me, you know most of the people I'm going to say most of the people nowadays that meet me don't have any clue that I know how to do desserts. And so when I do desserts, they're like, holy cow, where'd that come from? You're the barbecue guy.
0: You know, for me, it was the flip side because I knew you as a pastry chef and we weren't, you know, really close. Like I didn't really stay in contact with you after culinary school. And then, you know, Facebook, you stay, you get reunited with everyone. It's like, oh wow, that's Philip. Oh, he's not a pastry chef right now. He's doing barbecue. That's so interesting because I never would have guessed that at all.
1: Yep. It's, you know, it's kind of one of those things. From a very, very early age, I diversified from the very beginning. I mean, every time we had to have an elective in school, like even in science, I didn't take chemistry. I took nutritional science. I, I took foods for fitness. I took foods class. Or, you know, everything, something revolved around food the entire time. And when I, I went to a career tech center, I got certificates of culinary arts and I, and, and I had opportunities there, ice carving and you name it. And then of course, culinary school. Yes, I got an associate's degree in baking and pastry, but at the end of the day, you know, my mom, anytime my mom gets asked this question, she would always say, I always knew he was going to do it all because that's my personality. I don't like to be stuck into one bubble, I guess. And so when the opportunity came to really kind of get out of that only pastry thing, then uh, that I took it. And it's just great now because now I can teach it to people. I can, you know, if people want desserts, I can do it. Again, I don't like to say no to anybody, but if I have to say no, I want to find out, I want to know the, the best route to take Uh, in order to make that customer happy. And sometimes that's just sucking it up and saying, you know, I'm not the best at it. People always say, Hey, what do you make? What's your specialty? And I said, everything except sushi. I'll let the sushi chefs take care of that.
0: Incidentally, I say the same thing because people will want a cooking class and you, you know, there's some things I do really well. There's some things that I think I can do well enough for a class. And then people who want sushi, that's a very specific thing. And I just say, I'm not the guy for that. Like I can maybe help you find someone, but sushi I feel is just like a whole different class of cooking. So did you always have that entrepreneurial spirit? I mean, I feel like a lot of us go to culinary school and when we're there, we always say, everyone says, I want to own a restaurant. And then I think you get out and reality hits and you're like, well, I didn't realize it was gonna be so much work and money. And then you don't. But did you always feel like you had that thing in you that was like, I am going to start a business? So
1: yes. When I was in kindergarten, I drew this little pamphlet of cookies and I was like, anybody want to buy cookies? And they were five cents. And of course it was just like a little toy. If you, you know, it wasn't like real or anything. Although if somebody did give me a nickel, I I would like to find that person today and give them like, you know, three dozen, um, cookies free just because (laughs) they never got their cookie, but you know, it was somebody that gave me a nickel, but And that was, again, like, I mean, I was five and then when I was eight, I started my own mowing business and it was like legit, man. I had like a whole list of customers that I would push my mower to and and everything else. And and then I started selling cards and like, so yes, long story short, absolutely. I've always sort of saw myself doing that. Then, um, I, I've tried to work for other people, you know, in terms of businesses and I like to work with people. I don't like to work for people. if that makes any sense.
0: No, it totally does. I mean, I actually had to leave my last job because I just felt like I couldn't be the person I wanted to be or the both personally and professionally working there. I mean, I worked at a job that from the outside, people would say was a good job, right? Like it was a good paying job. It was a respected job. I, you know, did a lot of cool things, but I felt like I had bosses who were increasingly making me be more of an asshole. I couldn't be the human I wanted to be working there anymore, let alone the chef uh, I wanted to be, and I wasn't able to be doing the food I really wanted to do. So, yeah, I mean, I've worked for other people for twenty five years or so, and you know, now I'm only kind of four years into doing it myself, and I can't imagine working for anyone ever again.
1: Yeah, it's you know, it, it you know, it has its ups and downs. You know, in this in this last situation you know, working for somebody else, you know, you would be able to collect unemployment easier. Um, maybe. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's the whole retirement thing. So, you know, as a business owner, you have to kind of find new ways to, um, you know, build your retirement and so on.
0: But it's children. I have two children. I'm teaching them the hustle at a young age. I've, I'm taking care of them now they're going to take care of me when i'm old that's my <laughs> that's my plan the retirement thing i don't know i'm hoping my children are going to take good care of me
1: well i'll be honest so when i was at a very young age i told my parents that i would help them retire and uh, to this day i am striving everything i can to do that so to all those kids out there you know your parents do a lot for you that you don't realize
0: yeah i mean it's tough my wife's parents live with us you know and we love it i mean we have three generations in this house. and I think it's great. You know, they get to be around their grandkids. They don't have to do as much around the house. You know, it's, it works really well for us. And we love having all six of us under one roof. But, um, you know, it's tough. Like, I, I don't know that they could afford to live on their own anymore now based off of their retirement. So we're glad to, to take them in and share that. And hopefully my kids will see that and want to take us in. Yeah, because, you know, the food business is not a get rich business. I mean, I guess it can be. But you know, it's it's tough. It is a struggle for sure, getting by and saving for retirement in a in the culinary world. I think,
1: you know, the margins the margins are so tight uh, in this industry. There are ways to make more coin, but sometimes they're soul sucking. You know, one of the most rewarding things of owning your own business, especially in like in your sense, you know, the the, the way that you have your business model. I love seeing people smile when they've consumed my food or when they've taken a class for me or something to that nature. In addition to that, I love to see the families grow. One of the things that I did not like about corporate anything is the fact that everybody literally becomes a number and people need to get back to reality with numbers. We're all human. And we all need to love each other. We all need to love each other. And one of the things that's just so rewarding about owning your own business is being able to literally develop those relationships to the point where you can actually see these kids grow. You can, you know, I had a client when I lived in Atlanta that I did their cakes for like five, 10, like five years, you know, and, and it's awesome. Did their wedding, did their child, you know, did their Bridal or their baby showers, and that you know, and then the baby was one, and then two, and three, and, and just seeing the community grow. You know, I, I did a video a while back where I was telling everybody, everybody always wants to know, hey, you know, what's the best grill, what's the best smoker. And the first thing I said is the one that you can buy from your neighbor, or the one that you can buy from a store of a somebody in your community that you can see that family grow. Because, um, let's face it, man. If we don't do that, then what are we all living here for?
0: That's the nice thing. You know, my, my meals are at a higher price point, which means it tends to be more of a special occasion. So like almost every time I go out, it's a birthday, it's an anniversary, it's father's day, it's a a bridal shower, it's a baby shower. I mean, not that I don't just do random date nights, but these people are sharing some of their most special moments of their life and having me be a part of that. And then you know most chefs don't get to even experience that you're in the kitchen and it's like a hostess and the front of the house staff i'm there i'm serving these people so to be part of someone's bridal shower that's really cool or you know all these things i love it and i you know like you said getting to see the look on their faces you're serving them food and hopefully serving them something that they really get excited about maybe something they've never had before i mean that is just the best
1: i completely agree with you i had i was very honored to be asked to cook for um some people that i've known for a while they 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 love to dine they their foodies all the way and um uh, but they love to you know they go to these really nice restaurants but they had never had a personal chef experience and i call them epicurean experiences and so we did nine courses and it was every sense all of your senses or all of their senses were used to enjoy that meal and it was a totally Epicurean experience for them, and and they were blown away by that, you know that uh, that thing, and it was just something that they were didn't even realize could be, if you will, and it's uh, it's it's so rewarding. I just there's like I said, every every time I get tired, you know, as as chefs, you know, this industry is really rough on you, man. Both physically, mentally, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, is it's still in your heart, then you just keep going. You, You just you just keep going. And um, giving people those experiences is like nothing else, man.
0: Some people think it's strange. I've actually become good friends with many of my customers, you know, we'll go out and get beers or hang out, you know, you, you know, I'm in their house for four to five hours, you know, for the the time, you know, I usually get there about two hours before dinner even starts. And then you're hanging out and you get to know them. And it's amazing how many people then you know, follow me on Instagram or send me a friend request on Facebook, not just follow the business page, but me personally. So then you're seeing their whole life of their children and all their things they're doing. And I, I like that, you know, really building a connection with them and feeling like they're true friends. So some of my closest friends have actually come out of being paying customers for me, uh, instead of, you know, starting out as friends that I was cooking for.
1: That has, I have the same story. You know, I, I, to this day, I could call some people from, you know, when I lived in Michigan and, you know, and people that have just continued to follow me and how much they miss my food or maybe they lived in Vegas when I first started Sin City Chefs and now they live, you know, in Palm Springs or they live, you know, in Idaho or wherever. They're like, oh, we missed your food. And I always kind of tell them, hey, there's a the jet, <laughs> you know, I, I can fly, I, I can come to you, you know, um, but it just, it just means a lot, you know.
0: Yeah, that's what keeps me going. Sounds like that's what keeps you going.
1: Definitely. You know, something else that, um, you know, I had the opportunity to to teach high school students and some of them had no direction whatsoever. And one in particular, well, many, obviously, actually, I, I don't want to single anybody out, but to see the look on their faces, to see themselves succeed and to actually do something that they put their heart and mind into, um, was probably the number one most rewarding thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, to see some of these students that were destined to drop out, you know, now some of them work for wind. Now Some of them are traveling the country or even the world doing what they love, and that's cooking. And um, as a chef, as a role model, as a whatever you want to say, you know, it's, I want people to succeed. If you're trying to live a healthier lifestyle, then I can help you do that through food or just talking to you or, you know, like get you, change your mindset a little bit. You know, I always say that if you want to change your waste, you got to change your mind first. If you're a chef and you're in a rut, there are ways to get out of that rut. I have a very, very good friend that you even know that has an extremely successful restaurant and um, rated one of the best breakfast restaurants in the nation. And I wish that he could find the spark back again he's, he's kind of lost it. And it's, it's sad for me to see because I remember what it used to be. And I don't ever in my life want to do that. I have another barbecue friend of mine. He saw, I was kind of in that same area about a year and a half ago. And he, he kind of took his arm around me and was like, dude, you're too talented and you have too much passion for this. Don't let the industry get to you. Just come back at it in a different way. And so I did. And I think we all need to do that at some time. And whether you're a chef, you're in the food industry, or you're in any other industry, sometimes you just got to take a quick step back uh, and find a different perspective.
0: And I think a lot of people are doing that right now. I mean, even myself, it felt it felt good to kind of pull myself out of the day-to-day grind because you get caught up. The challenge I find is when you're building a business, you want to get there. And then you might think you get there and then you're so busy that you stop building, right? Like I started my job on the side. So it's like, I'm building to this. I need more customers. I'm getting there, I'm getting there. And then you're there. And then you're in the weeds 24 seven. And then the things that got you there, like I was communicating more with my customers. I was doing more blogging, whatever. I was doing, working on the business end. And then like, you can barely keep alive. Like you have the business that you've hoped for for so long, And then just everything else starts to fall apart because now you're in over your head. And this was like, okay, we got to stop everything. Okay, let me refocus. I need to work on some new menus. I need to think about how my marketing needs to change. I need to develop new recipes, like all these things. And yes, I didn't want to be unemployed, obviously, but it was a nice break in the sense that it gave me time to refocus on the business and kind of look at what I was happy with and look at what I wasn't and then kind of shift a little bit. I'm going to come back still doing my business, but I'm making some adjustments, not just due to COVID, but just things that I was able to reflect on that I don't think I was able to, to think about when I was in the thick of it.
1: Well, and sometimes during those times, you actually find what you actually have more passion for than you originally did. I found also that I'm very good at certain things that I didn't know I was good at. And it's it's all a learning process. The entire the entire thing is a learning process. And then, you know, we're not getting any younger. So, um, I've been in the industry 31 years. This is, I'm, I'm in my 31st year right now. Um, so most people would be retiring after 30 years and I'm probably at least 20 off before I can even think about that. So
0: I just did a quick count on my fingers. I think I'm 27 years.
1: <laughs> right right? You know, it's like, wow, where did those years go? Um, but then you look back and you're like, you know, I've done a lot in my, those years and it's a very successful businessman. In fact, he's a client of mine. He once told me the, uh, one of the biggest keys to success is a find a way to replace yourself. So bringing up the people below you, um, to help them succeed and carry that torch is, uh, you know, it's fairly vital.
0: That's something I need to work on.
1: I think we all do, to be honest with you. You know, we all want to be the, we want to oversee everything all the time. You know, we we were talking about earlier how we didn't want to be that chef that wasn't cooking anymore. And even when we were in culinary school, I I said I didn't want to be the chef carrying the clipboard all the time. I wanted to be, you know, getting in the weeds with my staff or my cooks. And ironically though, The cooks don't actually want you there. (laughs) You make them nervous, um, even if you're not trying to. And I don't know about you, but I like to try to have some fun when I'm cooking, especially for cranking. I mean, I remember having the food truck, seeing that line that was a half mile long. Man, there's no bigger rush than that, is to see that line going, holy crap. Strap it on, baby. <laughs> the nice
0: thing about having your own business is that you can then delegate the stuff that you don't want to do when you're working for someone else. You know, now it's like, if I am not good at the books or the marketing or the whatever, I can continue to be the chef cooking and hire an accountant or hire a marketing person. You know, when you're working for someone and you're the chef, the expectation usually from the general manager is that you're going to do that admin stuff but when you have your own solo business. You can say, well, like maybe my strength isn't the organization end of doing the paperwork and I'll just hire someone to do that instead of hiring, uh, you know, a sous chef to do the cooking. So trying to figure that out and let some stuff go. um, Yeah, it's always tough, you know.
1: I completely 100% agree with
0: that learning as you go, you know, one of the big things is everyone says like, how do you grow? How do you scale? It's like, why are you so worried about my business? Don't worry about it. If I'm happy. You know, I think people always want to say, well, but you got to hire more chefs. you got to stop cooking and have them do that. It's like, but that's not the point of what I want to be doing. Don't worry about my business. I'll hire someone to do the books and then I'll just go cook every day.
1: Every decision you make has some sort of consequence. It can either be a good one or a bad one. And sometimes like you and I were talking about earlier, you know, when we were talking about like the price point, if you scale down your price point and you need more volume, that opens up more problems. The problems become more time consuming. And in this industry and in pretty much any business industry, you know, any business time is the most expensive thing you have to deal with. And that is the one, uh, key ingredient that most people don't think about. And, um, Unfortunately, they're to the customers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so is there anything you'd like to leave our guests with before we get out of here today?
1: Well, you know, usually I have some sort of uh, quirky thing to say. I'm I, um, trying to think, you know, usually I have that, you know, final tagline, if you will. But the biggest one that I have for everybody is to stay positive, love on each other, and always remember that if uh, we may not get along in the world politically, we can all get together on the same, at the same table.
0: I love it. We've been talking about that so much recently. So I'm glad that you shared that with everyone because I feel the exact same way. So to all of our listeners, this has been the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. As always, you can find us at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on all social media. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Phil. And uh, I hope you have a great week.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.